0: He's the Zen Master of Fantasy Baseball, and Lor Michaels joins us next on Baseball HQ Radio. Home. Home.
1: Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. <laughs> and here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt.
0: And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Tuesday, April 4th. It's show number 15 of the 2016 Fantasy Baseball season. I am Patrick Davitt, your host, and we have another great Tuesday tout show for you with Lor Michaels from MastersBall.com, talking today about generational changes in fantasy baseball, players he likes more than he used to, a very brief discussion of daily fantasy golf. He's lining up a 31-foot drive for a decent explanation. It should break right to left some good old country rock and roll, and his fantasy studs and duds for the new season. As I said, it's another big Tuesday show. Thanks for joining us here at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? The real games have started. We gotta talk some baseball. And joining us on this Tuesday Tout Edition, a man who really needs no introduction to anyone who's been around this game for any length of time, Lore Michaels, is one of the founders of Masters Ball, and still writes regularly for the site. He's a two-time Tout Wars American League champion as well. Laura Michaels, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio.
1: Uh, Patrick, well, for one, it was great seeing you at Tout Wars, although I missed uh, I missed having a long walk back from somewhere midtown to our hotel on East 27th. That was, that was like I think, my favorite part of the draft in 2015 was uh, discussing God, Life, Politics, and Baseball with you uh, for the couple of mile walk but uh but uh, it's always a pleasure to talk with you sir
0: yeah, and you you, you uh, certainly could have. I think I walked more during our two days in uh, Manhattan than I've ever walked in Manhattan before. I was all over the place walking back and forth, and I'd missed, uh, I missed the opportunity as well. Uh, Lore, interestingly, at the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums, and this is before we get started on any real big substantive discussion about baseball and stats and stuff, uh, somebody posted a request asking uh, people to submit uh Suggestions online for their favorite baseball nonfiction books. And I thought, boy, I'll bet if anybody's read baseball nonfiction books and would have a good recommendation, it'll be Laura Michaels. Give us a couple of uh, titles that you really think are, are well worth reading.
1: Well, just, just to, in fairness, I, I, I do have my advanced degree in 19th century Victorian literature. I do prefer novels. <laughs> but um, I always really loved Roger Edgel's fantastic book, Five Seasons. Um, that's just a great book. I really love Thomas Boswell's uh, "How Life Imitates the World" series. Um, of course, I, I, I can't not love Sam Walker's land because I'm in it, so that becomes a personal favorite. And but the other one um, I, I really like a lot, and, and it's an article in particular. Um, it's a book called The Baseball Reader, and it was edited by Charles Einstein. And it's just a bunch of articles it's, uh, in, 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 in little throw-ins that, that Einstein got. For example, one of the stories in there is just the ninth inning of Sandy Koufax' perfect game, play-by-play, as announced by Vin Scully, which is kind of fun to read. But there's an article that, yeah. in there by Jimmy Breslin called They're Afraid to Come Out, about the 1962 Mets, which is undeniably the funniest baseball, maybe one of the funniest articles I've ever read. It's so good. In fact, you know, our good mutual friend Ron Chandler, uh, I I sent away, I tried to find this for him for years and told him about it, and I actually found a used copy on Amazon this past fall or spring. And when we went to tout uh, this this year, I gave him, I I gave him the copy that I sent for him, so I hope he he read it and and found it as amusing as as I did, or at least it's not dated. But uh, anyway, those those are a few I I really love a lot.
0: Well, when you're talking about Angel and uh, Thomas Boswell, of course, that's uh, a pretty potent uh, middle-of-the-order punch for baseball nonfiction writing in general, and uh, really good recommendations as well. Uh,
1: There's also, actually, when I think about it too, there's also a fantastic, fantastic book by Doris Kearns Goodwin, called Wait Till Next Year. That's just a lovely treatise on her growing up in New York and the fight between the the Dodger and the Giants fans before everybody moved away. Um, That's just a lovely book. And and now she's a Red Sox fan. So, But uh, anyway, that's also a fantastic book.
0: I've read the, all of your recommendations and I, I second each of them heartily. Uh, that Doris Kearns Goodwin book is really good. Uh, I really enjoyed it as well. Uh, I noticed, uh, Lauren, you made one small move. You picked up uh, Cliff Pennington?
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, to uh, replace uh, Devin Travis. And I thought I thought Rob, Rob Refsnyder was going to make the team actually. So if he hadn't taken a few balls in the face at third base trying to become a utility guy it would have been ref snyder but yeah pennington's a placeholder till travis comes back or ref snyder comes up and shows everybody that that he's he's here to stay it was it was kind of a nothing move in fact i wrote uh, about you that you were it looked like just with everybody getting adjusted to the thousand uh, dollar fab ceiling instead of the hundred dollar one I, you you seem to be the most um you acclimated yourself the best. I think it's because you're, new, you know, it's so your first time, first year in the American League that you that you were the one who really embraced the. Uh, uh, okay, I got two hundred dollars to spend on Sean Manay and did it. So all the rest of us were probably. I, mean, I bid zero on Pennington. The rest of us are still a little bit tepid, trying to f- feel our way around. Well, how much do I bid for this guy? Eight dollars, or eighty dollars, or a hundred dollars? Which is it's true, it's it's going to be interesting adjusting.
0: I just thought uh, when I bid on Manea, I kind of half forgot that we weren't doing Vickery anymore in that league, so um, I, I wonder if in the back of my mind I thought I was going to get sent back. I probably, I don't think anybody else even bid on him. I probably could have had him instead of, I bid around 200 or so, 201 I think, and I probably could have had him for a, for a buck out of my $1,000 limit.
1: If Vickery had been there, it would have been 16 Ron, I think, bid 15 and and nobody, it was just the two of you that bid,
0: well, even so, it would have been good if I could have got him for 20 instead of 200, but the way I looked at it was uh, it's just a percentage, right? It used to be 100, now it's 1,000, so if I would have bid 20 and now it's 200, no big deal. And uh, uh, because you're an A's aficionado and you follow the team closely, you score games there, uh, how likely is Sean Manea to be pitching sooner rather than later, I should ask?
1: I would think probably more like later. I, I got. I mean, we got to watch his development It. it in in AAA. I mean, I mean I'm assuming you picked him in Ron bid because Dubront's down, but I'm pretty sure Jesse Hahn they're going to bring up Jesse Hahn and say here it's the beginning of the season, see what you can do. Um I did see Manaya pitch in the in, in, in spring training though and he looked pretty good. He he struck out 3. I, I guess I saw him I can't remember I can't remember who I saw him play. He he was a little bit iffy with his control the first batter and then he settled down and struck out 3 out of Four the next four guys, so he's got some pretty good stuff.
0: He does. Uh, He's a very live arm, and I thought uh, if anybody needs live arm pitching, it's probably going to be Oakland this year. And yes, I'm. I was kind of hoping that Hahn would be pushed back in Manaya's favor, but I think in the last, I had a fairly successful Fab session a couple of seasons ago in the mixed auction league uh, where I grabbed Noah Syndergaard as a reserve and bid on guys like that uh, to try to grab the the later on impact pitchers because my pitching staff's not nearly as strong as yours for instance and uh and um so uh, it's it's kind of a more midterm strategy than something i was hoping would happen straight away i also was disappointed that tyler duffy got sent down i know he didn't pitch that well but uh, i didn't think minnesota had that many
1: options i i like i like trying to do that stuff it's very difficult in tough because you only have four guys so it you know it's it's it then becomes a numbers game of who can you hide, who you know, who and,
0: right.
2: and,
1: and who can't you hide. So that that becomes tough. But I, I don't think he's, you know, uh, I if he pitches well, I think he's going to come up. They're going to give him a chance. The, the A's are pretty good um, about about advancing those guys. You know, if you think the last few years of them giving Hahn a chance or Graveman a chance or Sunny Gray or uh, Steven Straley Griffin. If, if guys show that they can do it, get, get out. Billy's not afraid to bring them up and throw them out there.
0: And you have Gray and Graveman both, I believe.
1: I do. I do.
0: In your uh, Masters Ball site lore, you had a column recently I th- was thought was really interesting. It's about generational trends in fantasy baseball, and the news peg that you used was that our mutual friend Jeff Erickson of Rotowire, in a league that you play with him, not the Tout Wars AL league that we all three play in, but he had traded Corey Seager... Uh, offered him around and got back Chris Sale, which I think you found was a bit of an overpay for a rookie like Corey Seager. And then you decided to make a, a, a study of it. And you asked around to see what all the other experts thought. What did you find out as, uh, as you undertook this uh, inquiry?
1: Well, what I found out is that there, there seems, seems to be kind of a generation gap between the way I started playing and, and grew up playing. Well, grew up, I was, I was in my forties I guess when I started playing in 1988 but you know in the in the, in the dark days of, uh, of 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 only having tuesday wednesday usa today stats and no commissioner services online back then players just rookies it was very unusual for a rookie or a young player to get promoted and get a starting job at like it like it seems to happen today like chris bryant coming up or Carlos Correa, they just come up and and have some success. And actually, I sort of look at that trend starting with Albert Pujols in 2001. But now it seems to happen a lot more frequently. Um, A little of that is that there's been a four-team expansion since I started playing in 88. But but really, this last year, um, 150 more rookies debuted in 2015 than did in 1988. Which is a lot. That's you know almost what twenty twenty percent of the full player pool. Uh, which which is and, and I'm just talking about made debuts. So it does clearly seem like the majors are trying to push younger players up, and that I think to the next generation of of guys playing. And, and by next generation, thirty forty year olds. I, I had a hard time sort of typecasting Gen X and millennials, but I think those guys are more used to rookies coming up and, and and giving them a chance and and one other caveat to Seager is that he was because he still had rookie status um the team that uh, or the team that just traded him to could hide him as a uh, a, 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 a basically a ninth player so he did it it did give that team an advantage of freezing eight and hiding Seager as opposed to Seager being one of his eight freezes. So there was a. It, it was sort of like getting a player and a half, but that moves like that were stuff that none of us would ever consider. Fifteen years ago, you don't trade a guy with 150 at bats for arguably the best arm in the American League. Now, especially with guys playing in ultra leagues, I found that you know I I, I pulled thirty. I got responses from thirty two. Uh, of the tab, the 70 touts, and the average age of the guys who said that they would that was a good deal and they would do it without thinking was 38. The average age of the guys who said that they would never consider it was 51. So I don't know uh, uh, the, 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 the hiatus between those two, those uh, kind of tweener, not really Gen Xers, I don't know about them, but clearly younger guys or well, much uh, younger fantasy players are much more willing to take that risk.
0: And I want to make clear, you're not criticizing how the game has changed. You were just observing it and and pointing it out, I I think, for the benefit of people who could really use this information if you're a 50-year-old guy in a league with 35-year-old guys or vice versa.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. I was just trying to look at it objectively because one of the things that's so easy to do in fantasy ball, not just season to season, but, I mean, I've had it where I've had a good team that was killing it. The first three or four months of the season, and I did very little. Um, I mean, I'd look at transactions, but I didn't really have to do anything. And then all of a sudden, my team would start would get cold, and they'd go into a free fall. And really, by the time your team is in a free fall like that, that in the middle of the season, there's very little that you can do to mitigate it. By by that time, other teams are getting hot. Your guys are cold. The player pool of guys who are going to give you the maximum at bats or innings has been pretty much washed clean. So it, it, it's very hard and it's very easy to get caught in that complacency of I never do this, I always draft like that and one of the reasons, for example, I like playing, I play score sheet which is what this league took, uh, was the the, the Seager sale trade occurred in. Uh, I play Stratomatic, I play Mixed League, I play AL only, I play NL only. I play a lot of different variations because I think you can learn things. It will open up doors and windows into the other games by you could pick up things from playing different formats that might help you and in this sense i'm thinking about it like that that maybe it's not maybe it seems crazy to me to trade seager for sale or or sale for seager but people are doing it and and if 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 that leads to having a really great shortstop for the next 10 years and i i I can parlay that into a, a, a pretty good franchise that's a good thing um, I, I think and it, I, I just think it's so easy to be dismissive but uh, generally when we do that we get sort of caught flat footed so I just trying to stay open
0: You mentioned how much modern fantasy players, especially the younger crowd, tends to focus on crapshooting younger and younger prospects deeper and deeper in the minor leagues, partly because ultra ultra rosters are expanding. It's not unheard of to have fantasy leagues where you have 20, 25, 30 minor league prospects. I think you guys in the XFL have fairly deep uh, ultra lists as well, where you can draft guys who are you know, practically barely out of the womb and, and you know, have good bloodlines. It's like uh, drafting horse racehorses at this point. But do you think that uh, our perspective as older players has been affected by back in the day when we looked at the can't-miss prospects, they were guys like Jeremy Hermida and Gordon Beckham and Sean Burroughs, even Josh Hamilton before his, you know, personal issues and stuff were, were affecting him. All of these guys crashed and burned, and and maybe at that time it was so rare for a guy to come up as a prospect and make an immediate impact like a Correa or Bryant or all these guys. Now, maybe we're just gun-shy.
1: I think that's a lot of it. Um, And I also think, you know, if you think about when Pujols Pujols debuted, because I do think he sort of showed us all, whoa, it is possible to come up and be very good right away. Um, It's also unusual um, and, and we could look, you know, the, I, I would, uh, the next name I look at after him that really was an impact guy is Trout. But Trout had his, what, 200 bat experiment that he struggled with before he came back and then became the the, the, the monster player he is now. But, yeah, I think a lot of that is just generational gun-shy that, that, that we are littered with the the wreckage of the of the Gordon Beckhams and the Sean Burroughs's. Um On the other hand, when we look at last year, I don't know how much... Of an anomaly it is, but we look at Schwarber and and Korea and Bryant and all the guys that that kind of came out of nowhere. uh... in, in And uh, obviously, younger players are coming up better, stronger, better conditioned, and they're getting a chance. And I I think we would be foolish as as players to sort of poo poo that and just go, "I'm not doing that." Um, I think that's that is as much a road to failure as it would be to take a bunch, a team full of guys like that and you know i got asked i forget where a couple of weeks ago somebody was asking me well how do you how do you win a league like tout wars and the, the reality is you win a league like tout wars like you win almost any other league by drafting well by staying on top of the free agent pool and 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 by monitoring your team and and being on top of things but one of the things that i also said is I think especially in, in tout or labor that, that where the player, the competition is so good and everybody knows each other, you can't be afraid to fail big. Um, you know, the only guy who, who gets any credit for anything is first place. Everything else is second through, and that doesn't mean anything. So it, it, I, I think you, you have to try try big things, or at least not be afraid to try one or two big things it, 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 that might fail big, but on the other hand, they might they might do really well my best teams my two top winning teams were teams where i came up with something and i tried it and it was against convention and if if it hadn't worked i would have failed big but it didn't and i won <laughs> so
0: I remember years ago, John Burnson, who at the time was writing for BaseballHQ.com, very active member of the uh, Baseball HQ forums, and uh, we had a fairly uh, long discussion, he and I and some others, about the role of risk and, and how to, how much risk you need to absorb. And he was of the opinion, and this is many years ago, uh, that you just, uh, you, you just defined. He said that we talk about a baseball season like it's a long-run thing, and it really isn't. There's not enough at-bats in a season for you to say that you've picked well or done well. It would have to be three, four, five, or ten seasons even to get there. And so there is a a fairly large amount of luck even in season-long leagues, and he said because of that, you have to embrace certain kinds of risk, and the question then becomes what kind of risk do I want to take, how do I manage that risk, and so forth.
1: Exactly. Exactly. I I I could not agree more. You know, and and again, it doesn't mean do something stupid, but it does mean. Well, and well, stupid maybe a bit harsh, but I always thought bidding twenty five dollars on Billy Hamilton was was just a dumb move. And my argument was always, if you look at the numbers, Ben Revere might not get as many steals, but much better on base numbers, much better strike uh, strike zone judgment. Uh, he, he could he, you know i it just seemed clear to me that he might only steal fifty bases, but he was going to hit two ninety and score eighty runs, whereas Billy Hamilton might steal seventy five bases, but he was going to hit two thirty five and score fifty runs as a result so uh you, I, 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 I you have to be i guess concerted with your risk and the the one I think of is uh the last time I went out was I think two thousand nine and Alex Rodriguez was out for the first month. He'd hurt himself. And I ended up bidding 25 bucks on a guy that I knew was going to miss the first month. But I just thought when he came back, he would do it. And he did. <laughs> so he hit, I think, 33 homers for me. The late. In fact, I remember he hit a homer his first game back, and I just remember thinking, that was, I did it. That was." I don't know if I'll win, but that was a good gamble.
0: And without giving away anything, you don't want uh, people like me who are competing with you or might be listening to this podcast to know, uh, in general, where do you see in the modern game we should be taking those risks and we shouldn't be taking those risks?
1: I think of it more player-to-player. Player. Um, for example, I think, I think Carlos Correa is a really good risk. I'm not sure if he's a $35 risk, but maybe a $24 risk. That, I mean, $24 for a guy with less than 400 at-bats. That's putting your money on the table. Um, so I, I, I think of it more player by player, and I think uh, the, the, the thing that makes Correa look good is not only did he have such a fantastic debut last year, but in general his minor league numbers and the things I look at, and hitters especially, are extra base hits, number of hits, strikeouts to walks, ability, you know ability to hit with power, ability to... Control the strike zone and and get the pitch you want. That if if a young pit player can do that in the minors, then he understands what to do, and the chances are he will learn to do that in the majors and continue to grow his game accordingly. Um, And and I I look look at it in the inverse for pitchers that again strikeouts to innings and strikeouts to walks. If a I always say walks to me walks on base whip are everything because if you're a pitcher and you can keep batters off base chances are you're going to be successful and if you can strike them out chances are you are going to be successful if you're a hitter and you strike out a lot and you can't walk or get on base chances are you're not going to be successful it's pretty simple so i really focus hard on those numbers i i know there's a so many other numbers statistics and stuff but i I just try not to pay wrap that much around things like you know uh, average balls in play and stuff like that they're interesting but to me, the core of the game is still getting on base, and you know, I don't care if he does a if somebody needs a a, a, a bunt single and they're fast, or a ground ball in the hole that they outran, or or, or a walk. You know, the end result is they're on base. So I, I try to keep it kind of simple and pure. Because i you know, I was a literature student, not a math student. I don't understand math very well, but Dickens and uh, Thomas Boswell, I can explicate.
0: <laughs> Back to the uh, generational trends. To wrap this up, <laughs> I really like your conclusion, Lore, about the different cultural expectations of our generation of our generation versus the younger guys. And you talk not just about baseball, but careers in our real lives because of how the ec- economic system worked at the time we were in it and coming into it. You know we were more about security you wanted to get that 40-year career in the pension younger guys they grew up in a system where it's more about the gig economy and you know changing careers seven or seven to ten times in your working lifetime and all of these kind of things what effect do you think all of this has in as, as far as changing how to play the game if there are younger owners at the table with you
1: well i i i think i do think everything you know is is cyclic um, whereas, and, and to use another example because most of the younger guys today play DFS and not all of us older guys I like DFS a lot I think it's big fun but uh, not all, uh, all of the older generation there are a lot of people who kind of poo-poo it but my guess is as the younger generation who whet their appetites playing DFS as they get older, have kids, settle down the, I think the allure of the season long more leisurely paced uh, game that we grew up playing or we started playing will uh, catch them and become captivating, and DFS might take a little bit of a back seat. And it'll go back and forth. So I, I, I kind of think it'll work like that, but I, I do think that at, at least what what this is forced is, and, and it, fantasy ball in that sense is so new, it's really only been like a generation and a half since it started that we don't really have any background on how things would change, do change. They, I mean, the games change in, in how, what statistics we put in, what, what, you know, head-to-head, what kind of game you play with, what kind of rules. But basically, everybody sort of always kind of played it the same way, uh, I think, until this. And, or at least I, I think until this last wave of rookies and, and the generation. And I think it just kind of behooves us again to pay attention, pay attention to how the game is changing and, and how life is changing around you, or you'll get left behind. And and, and if you want to be left behind, that's fine. Just, I'd just rather be left behind. You know, I, what is my, I, I have a hashtag now. that's called I Am Becoming Abe Simpson. If I want to be left behind because I'm cranky and I don't want to learn a new app for my iPhone, that's up to me. But at least I want to know that it's out there.
0: Well said, and uh, before I forget, uh, our mutual friend Joe Sheehan of the Joe Sheehan Baseball Newsletter made an interesting point about why younger and younger players seem to be more and more a part of of the big production in baseball, and he says it has to do with the higher velocity of pitching which changes the game from an experience-based game or reduces the impact of experience. The ability of a hitter to learn how to hit is just simply being overwhelmed by velocity, and velocity means the best hitters are going to be those who have the most uh, visual acuity, and that's something that declines over time, as God knows we all know.
1: As do reflexes. But, no, I I think Joe's onto something there because it is a power game now. It's, you know... Chris Carter has a job because he can hit 30 homers even though he only bats 190. Yeah. That doesn't really make a lot of sense, but what can I say, <laughs> you know? And teams bought Chris Carter this year. I saw him drafted, so it's not like it's outrageous To me, it seems I'd rather look elsewhere for my power because that's such a drain. But, if you know, if you could win with Chris Carter more power to you, and if somebody does win with Chris Carter, then you sure should pay attention.
0: And, and there are strategies that say you draft your Chris Carter and you try to pair him with a, you know somebody who's going to have that big uh, on-base percentage, Shinsu Chu or even Ben Revere, guys like that, and look at them as a composite pair. And if you average it out, they both look like pretty good players as long as they both do what you expect them to do. Uh, um, Lore, we, we had a, a, an elite player suffer a, a pretty serious injury uh, just before the, the start of the season. A.J. Pollock of the Diamondbacks. I hope you don't have him on any of your rosters. Uh, borderline first rounder this year, one, certainly one of the top 15 or 20 fantasy hitters. Broke his elbow sliding into home, and he's going to be out for most of the season, maybe all of the season. He says he's going to come back. Um this is the second time he's broken his elbow doing this and and uh, he missed a whole season last time. So my first question to you is and this has very little to do with fantasy baseball, although it might be something of a risk management exercise. Why do teams continue to let players slide head first and should we be more reluctant to draft them?
1: I'm not sure if the question is being hesitant to draft guys who slide head first as opposed to You know, maybe the Tulowitzki effect, just guys who seem to be brittle. And it could be that Pollock is brittle. I tend to stay away from guys like that. Just, you know, the old Chase Utley, he might give me 90 really, really good games of at-bats, but I think I'm better off with 160 games worth of at-bats from a player. So I think that, I look at that as the risk mitigation thing. And now, since this has happened to Pollock twice, um, I, I think that's something worth paying attention to, as, as part of what you get with the package. And it's hard for me to find fault with it because that just means he's playing the game hard, and 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 I I I don't know how you can really control that. I think probably in the moment, you know, he's flying into home plate, and he's thinking to himself. How am I going to get in there the best, the easiest? I am going to throw myself at home plate and hope I can knock the guy over. And I, I mean, I don't think he thought in terms of getting hurt. I think probably think he thought I've slid into uh, into a base one hundred and fifty times and only got hurt once. The percentages are great that I won't get hurt again. And and he was wrong. His risk mitigation was uh, assessment was 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 out of line, I guess. But uh, you know, i I don't think I don't think there is a way to to get around it or a rule that you can make that says sliding head first is illegal or you shouldn't do it or i i don't think it's a good move and i also think statistically it doesn't get you to the base any faster i think that's been pretty well proved that it's 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 an illusion that if we think we can slide head first we'll get there faster but i i think the context of Pollock is that okay he's done this he's he's cracked up his elbow twice what that tells me is that L, he his bones break. If he if he runs into a wall, if he gets hit by a pitch, his DNA tells me he's gonna get more injured than than uh, you know, Kirk Gibson, who can get hit in the face with a ball and kinda laughs about it and walks down to first base.
0: Or hits a home run off Dennis Eckersley on basically one gimpy old knee. and Yeah. I wasn't suggesting that there should be a rule against anybody sliding any way they want to, but if I was the Diamondbacks, if I was a play uh, uh, an owner of a big league team and I'm paying some of these guys tens of millions of dollars a year, I think I might say I, I really want everybody on this team to stop doing this because it's I think it's pretty well established that sliding head first, if there's going to be an injury caused by sliding, it's always going to be head first. It's very rarely going to be a feet-first slide because your leg muscles are so much bigger than your hand and arm muscles.
1: Yeah, I think the only time guys get hurt sliding feet first is if they catch a cleat somewhere or get tangled up with another player, which sort of adds another layer to the anomaly. But And, and I wasn't saying, I, I, I know you didn't suggest it be outlawed, and everything you're saying is right, I just don't know how you you know you have to start drilling that in when kids are playing little league or college ball. Don't do that so that your muscle memory doesn't even offer the choice of do I slide feet first or hands first, head first. You know, um, I think I think in, the, in in the moment you just kind of make, you know a player makes a split second decision about what they think they could do and and that's that. In fact. Ideally, is it the uh, the on deck hitter giving a cue to Pollock, saying whether to slide or not, and then you know AJ's got to be the guy figuring out, uh oh, what do I do? You know, yeah. So I, I mean, in and, and in a case, the, the other the guy I think of is a guy I saw a lot, Ricky Henderson, who pretty much always slid head first and never really got hurt as a result of it somehow miraculously.
0: Well, I think you're right. A big part of it is just the, the physical makeup. He was a stocky, muscular guy and maybe didn't have quite as long of arms and legs and things to exert leverage. Uh, I don't know that Pollock is a long, lean character or a short, stocky one. I, I haven't seen him enough to, to make a comment on it but, it, but Ricky Henderson was certainly a very stocky, muscular guy, and uh, maybe that has something to do with it. Uh, my second question about the issue, though, Laura, is... The Diamondbacks are obviously going to have a terrible time replacing Pollock. It um, uh, looks like David Peralta's stock is going to rise a bit, I think. Fantasy owners are really in trouble, too. Is it possible for a fantasy team to recover from a blow like losing an elite-level player like this?
1: Yes, although it does depend on how deep your league is. But I'm in, I'm, I'm in one of the leagues. I'm in is the, uh, the Bay Area Roto Fantasy League that uh, our friend Todd uh, from uh, the rec room... Uh, sponsored uh, uh, that our, our mutual friends Howard Bender and Ray Flowers are in that, and it's the Barf League. And I got Pollock in that, and fortunately, it's a twelve-team league, so I picked up Eddie Rosario to replace him today. I think, I think Rosario could. I mean, he won't. Maybe he won't hit three hundred, but at least he can steal twenty-five bases and he can hit fifteen, twenty homers. So, you know, in that sense, I'm I'm okay. But if you have him in NL tout or NL labor, you probably spent thirty bucks on him and in a, in a really deep league. that that makes it very, very difficult. Um, but one of the things I also try to do when I play and when I draft, for example, my tout AL team, I picked I was the only one. I took uh, David Price and Sonny Gray. I picked two big pitchers. One of the things ideally that that will give me is if I can have a pretty good pitching core, by June, July, and pretty good pitching numbers that allow me to put a, a lesser starter. I've got I've got seven starters I lucked out with in there, so maybe I can really plug Nathan Ivaldi into one of those guys' roles, and then trade for a hitter to somebody's got an extra hitter. So I I try to hedge my bets in a deeper league by by at least giving myself some flexibility and a little bit of a sur- potential surplus that I can trade. So, but it, but you know we we've only had what three opening day games so far. So there's there's a long way to go. And I, I mean I've played in mixed leagues before. Um, where one time I remember I I, I got Rich Becker for thirty one bucks because I had money coming off his rookie season, and and I won. So basically I won despite the burden of Rich Becker and wasting thirty bucks. So I basically won. Having spent 230 and that's kind of tantamount to Pollock. So it's, it's doable. You just have to be very, very mindful. Uh, I always think during the course of a season you can make five, six mistakes. Sometimes that mistake means that you just had a bad month and your team had a team whip of 1.70 and they had a team ERA of five. But sometimes that mistake is. They can chase Utley, spend it too much on him, and and he and he, he's broken, and it's a calculated risk. So you can you can eat a handful of those and still be successful, but each time you run into one of those snags, it becomes that much more difficult. It's sort of like the Richter scale, you know, uh, a a seven point two earthquake is exponentially more intense than. Twice as intense as a seven point one. It's not like a three point five as goes to a seven, so it just it just makes it that much more difficult to try to manage and come out ahead.
0: I think uh, this AJ Pollock thing puts me in mind of what Gene McCaffrey t- has told me on the podcast and uh, when just talking to him around the uh, around the bar. That everybody complains about DFS being a gambling-based game and a luck-based game, and how is how is a, a, a season-long not a luck-based game when you lose AJ Pollock a day after you draft him for thirty-three bucks or in the first or second round, as you say, it's uh, it's just as lucky or just as unlucky in this case to have that happen. So I think he he makes a good point.
1: I've I've extrapolated that when people say that too. Every day that I get up and walk out of a house, it's it's sort of a, a, a test of faith that an airplane tire is not going to fall out of the <laughs> sky and hit me in the head. And, you know, I, I, or I think of, uh, we were talking about baseball books. Um, I'm sure you've read David Halberstone. And, I mean, he's in his 70s, and he was driving a car across the San Mateo Bridge here in the Bay Area, and a big piece of pipe fell off a truck in front of him and crushed him. I mean, that's luck, or lack thereof. So I, I I I always find that that luck argument kind of specious myself. <laughs> Gene's absolutely right. It's it, it, everything is lucky, and that doesn't mean you don't make concerted moves to to try to mitigate risk. No matter what you are doing, whether you're playing daily fantasy, yearly fantasy ball, or just step it into your car to drive down the road.
0: I had David Halberstam in my league that year. just ruined, ruined my year. And, he, and speaking of guys who write good baseball books, by the way, David Halberstam is a, a name that popped up a lot in that BaseballHQ.com subscriber forum thread. And uh, certainly I don't hesitate to recommend those books as well uh we were talking about your master's ball site where you write most frequently Laura, when todd was on the pod todd zola uh, a week or so ago he mentioned that you guys did a, a bit of a renovation at the site and we didn't really get into details so maybe you can fill us in briefly what did you guys change over there and what were you thinking
1: for one thing we had the same basic site and layout for i don't know 10 11 years <laughs> So we just thought a new look would look good. But additionally, the original software editing programs that we had were so outdated, they couldn't even be upgraded anymore. So I, I think technology and time sort of forced the issue. Um, but we like it. We, we, um, our good friend and partner, Brian Walton's son, Colin, who is a designer for Topps uh, Baseball Cards, company actually he does wacky packages as a matter of fact anyway he designed a new logo for us and basically we just tried to break things up and one of the other things we're really pushing for now is um, we, l- we all like playing DFS so we have daily dfs baseball content now for the whole season um and we i added a couple of new writers uh patrick and daniel uh daniel is very good at uh at, uh at, at epl english premier league soccer he plays basketball he plays baseball he plays football um and patrick uh Wisniewski plays soccer or, or no I'm sorry he does not play soccer he's a hockey guy he has a a friday column now called ice holes where he's exploring the NHL and playing daily, uh, doing, doing DFS hockey. Um, I started playing DFS golf. So we're just trying to grow, change with the industry in our coverage. Um, we, we have uh, agreements with uh, real t- both real-time sports and with DraftKings. So we play their, their games and make recommendations daily um, on, on baseball. We'll do it again in football. And then, so we have daily DFS baseball picks. Uh, and, and then peppered in through the week, we also have golf, hockey, NBA, um, soccer, and come football season, we'll add football back in, NBA season, same. So we're just trying to kind of grow with the industry, not kind of like that risk mitigation thing, not get too stuck in the way we're doing things so that we don't outlive our own usefulness, or as it would be uselessness, I suppose.
0: You mentioned uh, that you're playing fantasy golf. I'm really intrigued by that. You're, you said a tough weekend. You really love playing. What's the what's the appeal of DFS golf?
1: I played golf when I was 13. I bought golf clubs with my bar mitzvah money, and I played till I was 21. And I was playing with my brother, who's a jerk, and his best friend, who now is the president at Ohio State University, of all things. And they got in a fight. My brother started throwing clubs at his friend, and I just said, I'm not playing anymore. I thought we were doing this for fun. And then, once again, we can invoke our good mutual friend Jeff Erickson. He found out about this last January when I was at the FSTA. And he went, oh, you should play with Jason and Jason and Joe Sheehan, Jason Gray, Joe Sheehan, and I play at the Fall every year. You should play with us. And I went, ah, oh, that's ridiculous. I haven't played in 41 years. And I started thinking about it since I retired from my AT&T gig, that maybe that would be kind of good exercise. I knew how to play. So I Lo and behold started playing with my brother in law Eric uh, Hedgecock and and I just it, it became a completely different game for me as a sixty year old than it was as a thirteen year old when I was a thirteen year old It was just hit the damn ball as hard and straight as you can. Now I actually understand real golf courses are sort of like blown up versions of miniature golf courses except instead of a windmill. They stick a lake in there and uh, instead of uh, uh, you know a little castle. They stick uh, bunkers and rows of trees and horrible, nasty things. I, I, I One of my comments is that with every set of golf clubs now, they should issue uh, a, a chainsaw because trees are just the enemy. Anyway, I just started playing a lot. It's become very cerebral. I'm working actually on a book on golf now called To a T, Life, Death, Redemption in Golf. That's gotten some pretty good advanced press even. And I just figured, why not? I, I like playing the game. Me, and I and I found myself watching. All of a sudden, I'm, I, I found myself watching the U.S. Open and the Masters last year, and then watching tournaments to see what guys do. Because it's like watching cooking shows to me. If I see what guys do, then I have a better chance of learning how to do it at a good level, um, or, or I learn things from it. And just for fun, I, I just started playing on DraftKings, who so have a very nice weekly game that they're so their hybrid game. It costs three bucks. Um, generally, there's about 20,000 entries, and they pay to the top 7,000. So it's not impossible to actually walk away, with, for your $3 investment, walk away with 5 bucks, But it makes it, it engages you. It, it makes it, I mean, if you play daily baseball or daily football, or even if you don't, even if, if you play season-long football, you're still checking your numbers every day regularly. Well, all that does is, you know, all of a sudden I want to know how Jamie Lovemark and uh, Heinrich Stenson did at uh, it, it, it the Shell Open yesterday because I picked Love Mark and I picked Stenson the week before and and Love Mark ended up finishing nine under and I picked Ricky Fowler so I had a good day yesterday uh, but it I think it, it just builds the same kind of excitement interest uh, desire to win I, I, and the other the other thing I I've, I've, I've been quoted on a few times is last football season I uh, I announced to my wife that, hey, I came in first in both my DFS football leagues today. She went, how much did you win? And I said, $6.48. And she said, how much was profit? I went, $4.48. And she went, "You laughed at me and said, you sat there for two hours looking at numbers for $4.48. And I gave her a pretty serious look back and said, I won. Um, you know, <laughs> I won. So that's all I care about. I won. And I, I think that's in all of us, you know, if we're competitive, whether we, despite uh my non-competitive, not wanting my brother and his friend to fight uh, on the links. You know, if we play these games, we play them because they're fun, but we we want to win, obviously. So I, I I think that's the allure to all of the all of the fantasy games, isn't it?
0: It certainly is. Uh, I know I care more about Tout Wars than anything else I've ever played, and there's no prize money at all. I mean, you just you want to do well. You want to you want to take away a trophy and have a sandwich named after you for uh, for a night, and all of those kind of benefits. I know that there are people who play fantasy sports, uh, daily, season long, all all different kinds, and gamble on sports for that matter, with the express intent of trying to win money. And I mean, I've got I certainly don't object to people doing that as long as they're not, you know, taking food out of their children's mouths or, or costing themselves a place to live. But if you want to gamble, gamble. It's nothing to me. I, don't, I really don't care. Who, who are the best DFS golfers?
1: It depends on the week. Um, obviously, there's some really great golfers. Jordan Spieth, uh, Dustin Johnson, uh, Ricky Fowler, Phil Mickelson are all really fantastic golfers who deliver pretty, pretty well. Um, the things I've learned in the column I write, I write, it comes out on Thursday morning where I make my handful of picks. Um, and, and I'm trying to write it under the ages that I, I just started playing. You guys, I, you know, I, I, I think I've played in eight tournaments so far. So I'm just learning. So if you want to figure out how to play, I, I'm trying not to read anybody else's columns or advice. I'm trying to figure it out for myself. And the things I've figured out are one, it's get you, well, it, it, for one, it's the same as playing baseball. You have a fifty thousand dollars salary cap. Ricky Fowler costs eleven thousand dollars, but Jamie Lovemark only costs six thousand dollars. Obviously, you can't have six guys who all cost ten thousand bucks. there's not enough money, so you have to pick a couple of under the radar guys. So what I look at are making the cut you know there's a if you if you, if you're under par after two days of a four day tournament, you make the cut, and it's sort of like not having a bench player in baseball, if you make the cut, that means you're going to go out and play more those last two rounds. If you play more, that means the chances to get a birdie or, uh, or, 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 or a low, lower your score are greater. So you want guys who will continue to play through the weekend. The other thing, and I made this mistake at Pebble Beach because I, I, I picked... Um, uh, now, Bubba bu- 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 Watson, whom I really like a lot, Bubba drives the ball farther than anybody else. He can he drive a ball 340, 350 yards, which is a pretty good poke. Um, so I picked him at Pebble Beach. Pebble Beach is a really long course. There's not a lot of holes where that 340-yard smash is comes in as handy as being able to put it where you want after 210 yards and then hit the green with a 170, 180-yard iron shot or something. Um, it's, it's it's a much more tactical game, so I made a big mistake by picking Bubba because that wasn't his his uh, in his best environ, so I think looking a little bit at the skill set of the player and where they're playing, and also how they finished last year, how they've been doing recently. Again, Jamie Lovemark being a good example. I had him uh, a couple of weeks ago at, at the at the Arnold Palmer. I picked him because he would played really well at that course, and lo and behold, he finished third. So he had he'd been hot lately. So I picked him this weekend at the Shell Open, and lo and behold, he did pretty well. Uh, at least he made the cut, and he finished seven or eight under. So it's, it, it is very much a learning thing for me. But, you know, back to how do you know, the guy who won the tournament, uh, the, the Shell Open this week, is Jim Herman. Uh, it was his 160th tournament as a pro, first time he ever won. Nobody had any idea he would do this. So it's sort of like, you know, it's sort of like Clay Buckles coming out of nowhere and pitching a no-hitter. Where it's like, whoa, wait, wait, wait a minute! How did that happen?
0: Who do you like for the Masters?
1: Uh, I I I probably would go Spieth, um, Probably look at Mickelson, look at Fowler at least as the as the top guys, just because they're they're the best players. Jason Day is a very fine player too. Um, I at least to win, I would look at those guys. I'm not sure who my cheap picks are going to be yet, but. Uh, but uh, I, uh, at the top of the line, I have to think of those guys. I mean, Spiess is a defending champion, so that's worth something right there.
0: How about McIlroy?
1: Uh, McIlroy is great. He's a he's a, he's a fine you know fine top player. Uh, Rory is 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 very very good. But, you know, yeah. I, what I've what I've sort of found is I I end up getting maybe two ten thousand dollar guys, one eighty nine hundred dollar guy, one eight thousand dollar guy, or seventy nine hundred seventy five hundred, which was Love Mark. And then a couple of guys who are at the bottom at 5,700 that I, that, that look like that, that that at least have finished um, playing all weekend. That's that's the most I can hope. I look for what their last couple of tournaments are, but it's it, you know I don't know anybody who who picked uh, Herman. Uh, I'm sure somebody did, and I'm sure the guy who won the DraftKings thing probably had him, but but I didn't, and he never occurred to me. <laughs> so not only am I looking forward to the weekend but my brother-in-law Eric uh, who I play with every week his birthday's this coming weekend so we play we're going to play we always play 18 holes on Saturday but Sunday I specifically told him we were going to do a family dinner for his birthday and I said how about if I come over and watch the last round of the Masters with you which is like he went oh yeah that'd be great so I think we're going to have some kind of family meal celebration around him and me watching the Masters, which, which means I won't watch Sunday afternoon baseball, probably, which will be a change.
0: You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Lor Michaels. We'll take a quick break, and we'll come back in a minute with more from Lor on Baseball HQ Radio.
3: I'm Ray Murphy with a special draft day offer for listeners of the Baseball HQ Radio podcast. Over the next couple of weekends, fantasy baseball players like you will be heading into drafts and auctions from Arcadia, California to Yazoo City, Mississippi, and from Albany, New York to Walla Walla, Washington. We want you to take BaseballHQ.com into your draft room to help you come out with a winning team. Baseball HQ has a complete set of draft tools to help you have the best draft you possibly can. For straight draft players, we've just updated our comprehensive straight draft guide. For auction players, our custom draft guide lets you set your league's parameters. Not just for scoring categories, but for hit their pitcher splits, category weights, position scarcity, and much more. And then you get customized player value projections that will put you miles ahead of all those guys in your league with their magazines and every fantasy drafter will be able to use the spring training wrap-ups in our buyer's guide columns, the news and analysis in our playing time coverage, strategy ideas in our gaming columns, ongoing performance analysis in our regular facts and flukes columns. Even our industry-recognized fantasy research can give you the edge. Would you like to know how catchers influence fantasy value for pitchers? Our new study on framing will tell you exactly that. And if you like to play some long shots, and we all do. You'll get valuable insight from our speculator column. All of this and more is yours at baseballhq.com. And we have a limited time to offer for baseballhq radio listeners. We'll give you a $10 discount off any subscription. Just enter the code HQ radio all one word in the coupon box at checkout. Remember that's HQ radio all one word in the coupon box at checkout to get $10 off a draft prep or full season subscription to BaseballHQ.com. Act fast, because this offer ends at 11.59 p.m. on Sunday, April 3rd. Once again, HQ Radio, all one word in the coupon box at checkout. Have a great draft and a winning season with us at BaseballHQ.com. And thanks for listening to Baseball HQ Radio.
0: And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Patrick David with Laura Michaels from MastersBall.com. And, and Laura, uh, this goes back quite a bit at the MastersBall site, but you had a column about guys whose stock jumped after the mock draft season, so you're talking about February or so. Uh, you grabbed Jason Castro, one of your guys in Tout American League. Did you grab anybody else from your list in any of your other leagues?
1: Um, I did. I, I I I started liking Travis Shaw a lot more. Um, i I started liking Domingo Santana a lot more. Um, I started liking well, I always kind of like Robinson Torinos just because he could hit ten homers with two hundred and fifty at bats, even if everything else wasn't so great um, and well i've always liked him too, uh, and he get tends to get dismissed, but I uh, much became much more of a Marco Estrada fan he he fell to the heat, and, and Irvin Santana, for some reason, people hate them or won't draft them, and they end up being 21st, 22nd round picks, and I got both of them in, in, in tout, I think, for like 4 bucks So I might have paid a little more for Estrada, but, but that, that, that told me I could spend a little bit more on grain and uh, in, in price, for example, in tout, and keep it down you know and and not worry about the later rounds that there still would be some starters that i could get if i could control the board that i could get for cheap and and i did so yeah i like all those guys
0: I like uh, Marco Estrada a lot this year. Uh, Gene, when I talked to Gene McCaffrey earlier on the podcast earlier this year, he said Estrada was one of those guys that he really likes because he has not that great of skills, but he can pitch up in the zone, and nobody, no hitters know how to do that anymore. And uh, he likes Marco Estrada for that reason. Has anyone else jumped since you wrote the column? In your estimation,
1: um, there's a, a couple of other guys I, I've 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 really tried to pick up. Uh, Jonathan Villar. Um, I r- I really like a lot, and people dismiss him. But he for right now he's a starting shortstop in in Milwaukee, and he could steal twenty five thirty bases. So so he 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 jumped jumped a lot in my in my estimation, and and also I I tended to get Graveman and and Hahn in leagues, and one of the reasons was and and also Yonder Alonzo, and that was from having talks with um with Ron Washington, where. Uh, it's it spring training where Wash said the A's are looking at Alonso to be their everyday first baseman and get 500 plus at bats. And if you look at his numbers last year, he had 42 walks to 44 strikeouts. His on he didn't play full time, but his on base, his strike zone on base numbers really took a, a jump, which is I think one of the reasons probably the A's liked him. So he took a big jump in my estimation. And Han and Graveman. Basically, Wash said that that the team is looking to get 170 innings out of each of those guys, which tells me, A, they got faith in them, B, they think they're healthy, and C, they're going to throw them out there whether you like it or not. And, uh, you know, talk about risk mitigation. Well, you have to have pitchers, and I'm willing in the Coliseum to take a chance on those guys and throw them out there.
0: You're making me feel a little uh, glum about my Sean Manea pick uh, with that 170 innings apiece for uh... Graven and Han, but we'll—I guess—we'll see what happens. Laura, I always like to catch up with you about what your what you're listening to, uh, music-wise. Uh, what's turning the ear of Laura Michaels these days?
1: Um, well, I—I I, I never. The older I get, I never seem to be able to get enough of Bob Dylan. And in fact, Dylan's touring, and we're gonna we're gonna go see him in June at the Greek Theater. And this is a big deal because my wife Diane is coming along and. She's not a music person, but she even agreed it would be interesting to see Bob Dylan in her lifetime. Um, so I, I just never can get enough of Dylan. I love listening to um, Highway 61 and Blonde on Blonde, which is my favorite. But but also just listening to his old early tapes and outtakes and stuff like that um, just knocks me out. Um, and then I, I've I've sort of noticed maybe this is sort of akin to the 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 fantasy generational thing, but you know I was in my my twenties and punk came out and, and and in in the late '70s, so I became a total punker. I was happened to be in London the week the Sex Pistols hit number one and the week Stiff's Live happened, so I became a big Clash, Sex Pistols, Buzzcocks fan, and I kind of dismissed Rush and I kind of dismissed Leonard Skinner and I never even gave Led Zeppelin their due and. I've been listening a lot to those bands. In fact, one of the things about about being in London, as uh, that same week I was in London that the Pistols hit number one, was the week that Leonard Skinner, unfortunately, had their tragic plane crash, and I guess that was in nineteen seventy seven. And um, but uh, but I found the Skinner to be a pretty good guitar band. They're also very very funny. They're they're pretty good lyricists. Uh, I really love. What's your name? I really love Mr. Saturday Night just because the words are great, but but also it's got this really great slide riff that, that channels back and forth between the speakers. I'm not as much of a Freebird fan, but uh, but 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 they're they're a good band. They're uh, a very good band, and I'm I'm glad I discovered them. And same with Rush. Um, Sometimes you know, and and I'd listen to. I grew up with you know the Moody Blues were one of my favorite bands, so I had that prog rock. By the time Yes hit, I was it was okay but i'd kind of been been done and then within a few years the punk stuff hit me anyway but rush rush is a pretty good band they're 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 very interesting to watch their evolution and and uh spirit of radio is just a killer song <laughs> i don't care what anybody says spirit of radio just knocks me out
0: well you mentioned leonard Skinnerd from their street survivors album in 1977 this is what's your name on baseball hq radio Leonard Skinner from 1977 and What's Your Name from the Street Survivors album. And uh, interesting thing, a uh, connection to this show, I guess, and to uh, people like us, Laura, is the video shows uh, clips of the band while they're touring, you know, in their downtime. And uh, there's a fairly sizable chunk of it of them playing baseball.
1: Really? The Skinner? I know, I know Getty Lee is a big baseball junkie. In fact, I... I I know our, our another mutual friend of ours, Corey Schwartz, was really excited when Getty came to the MLB.com studios at the Chelsea Market, and and uh, and and um, Corey got to show him around. And we've actually, I mean, it was thrown out when we were discussing next year's tout There's uh, of 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 possibly asking a guy like that if he would want to play or you know, and, and I, I don't think I'm revealing anything. We we haven't decided what to do, but apparently Zoe Dachanel is a big fantasy player. Um, I know George Thurgood's a big baseball junkie. Uh so there's some there's some there's some people out there are definitely some people out there who play that uh, have other skill sets.
0: Ronnie Van Zandt, Gary Rossington, and Bob Burns, kind of the founding core of Leonard Skinner, actually met playing Little League baseball as well and moved on to, of course, become uh, fairly famous as Leonard Skinner before a tragic plane crash that you mentioned earlier. Uh, Laura, Laura, let's, let's wrap have, this wasn't, up.
1: was it Leonard Skinner the name of their, like, their, their high school coach, too, and they actually did it as a joke?
0: Uh, I think the story is that his name was Leonard Skinner, and he was the basketball coach, and he was, he was a stickler for enforcing the rules about long hair. And he bugged them so much that they actually ended up quitting school and naming the band after him as kind of a jab. And he ended up making a lot of money off it, and he was perfectly perfectly content with it. A re- interesting story.
1: I, I, I guess, but yeah, okay. So yeah, they're, they're, there you go. There's the sports connection.
0: During the season lore, I'm going to be asking our experts to talk about their studs and duds for the balance of the season. Of course, studs are going to be the guys that you're going to count on to deliver big results. Duds are the guys, you know, going to be a little overpaid, maybe uh, not meet their expectations. Let's start with the hitters in the American League. Who's a stud hitter for you for 2016?
1: Well, stud stud is tough to me. Um, obviously, Josh Donaldson is, is, is can really hit and I saw his, again, he's another guy I saw a lot in Oakland, and I could see his evolution. You could see him establishing himself and showing how he understood what he was doing. But I, 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 watched, the, I watched, that was really a very good Royals-Mets game yesterday. And I'm, I, I, maybe it's, I'm sh- shaded because I bought him, but I think Eric Hosmer is going to kick it up a notch. I, I think he's going to become one of the best first basemen and hitters in the league. I like, I like him a lot um in that contest uh context uh, i like mookie betts a lot um and then there's a couple of two lesser guys that i think uh one of them i mentioned before on the twins eddie rosario gets kind of overlooked but i think he had 15 homers and 15 triples last year um and as kind of a fill-in and i i think he's gonna and he had a very good second half i think he's gonna step up his game and another guy that my my mate lord Z and i have been Discussing back and forth is uh, Aaron Hicks, who's the fourth outfielder for the Yankees. Which might not sound like much, except they got Lou, Brett Gardner, Jacoby Ellsbury, and Carlos Beltran, all of whom could fall over and break their elbow. All the AJ Pollock at any moment. So I think I think Hicks is gonna is gonna get 400 plus at bats, and I think he could be a 15-15. He could be a 20-20 guy. I think if he played full time, but at least 15-15. And I think he's going to do pretty well with that team.
0: I loved Aaron Hicks coming into this year, and uh, didn't manage to snag him in either of the two leagues that uh, that I'm playing in.
1: He went for like $15, 16 bucks at tout, which I I figured I could pay nine.
0: A National League stud hitter.
1: Um, well, a young guy. Actually, again, I went all with kind of younger guys. Um, I I really like the Brewers, Domingo Santana. Um, I think I think he could hit twenty, twenty-five homers this year without much difficulty. Another guy we saw. Play very, very well yesterday, um, who had numbers as good as Kyle Schwarber, although not as publicized as Michael Conforto. And I'm a, I'm a huge Randall Gruchek fan. I think Randall Gruchek's going to be a real star.
0: Now, turning to the duds in the American League, who do you think is going to fail to meet expectations?
1: I get the attraction to, uh, to, to Brian Dozier, but I see him a lot like I see Adam Jones, where the numbers, the, the, the secondary numbers, don't support. What his primary skill set does, I just see him not not being nearly as good as, as, as people seem to think he is. And uh, I stay away from him. He could be one of those guys that has a, a 20-year career and I finally get him his last year and then he's no good anymore, but he just makes me nervous.
0: And in the National League, who's a dud over there?
1: Jay Bruce. Never liked Jay Bruce. Always thought he was overrated. He's going to get traded, so I like him even less. <laughs>
0: I always liked Jay Bruce. I'm a Cincinnati fan anyway, but uh, especially in on base leagues, I thought he was pretty useful. Uh, not not as unuseful as a lot of people sh- think. I should say, I guess. Let's move over to the mound now, uh, Lauren, And uh, in the American League, who's a stud pitcher you really like?
1: Well, I I'm big on Chris Archer, and I'm especially watching him. I watched Archer and Stroman yesterday. Both of those guys I like a lot. And I, you know, I said it with the Corey Seager swap. I think Chris Sale is the best pitcher in the American League. So I. I, I think he's going to have a really big year.
0: In the nationally, who's your stud pitchers over there?
1: Um, uh, above the radar, I really like Garrett Cole a lot. A couple of years ago, Paul Spohr and I, when, when Sonny Gray had his first year, Spore and I bet, I, I bet him that, that Sonny Gray would have a better full first season than Cole, but within two years, Cole would be more dominant than Gray. I still think Sonny Gray is fantastic. But I think Garrett Cole is going to be dominant this year. And then a little bit more under the radar, I'm I'm a big Jeff Samarjda fan. Uh, I think coming back to the National League is good for him. I think that ballpark is a good fit for him. I think that team is a good fit for him. In fact, if you line him and Madison Bumgarner up, they're sort of left-handed, right-handed double gongers for each other on the mound. It's kind of interesting. But I think he's going to have a good year, and that's a really good team and fit for him. And I think he'll, you know, back in the National League, I think he will – uh, do well accordingly,
0: How about an American League dud pitcher
1: uh, i you know i've never trusted uh, Mr. Tanaka on the Yankees. I think he'll get hurt, and I think he 's overrated and i just I just don't trust the guy a lick i I wish I could but but i don't I want to trust Jesse Hahn, but he might be on the dud list too but
0: nothing personal, but I hope you're right uh, and finally, a national league dud pitcher.
1: Uh, i got a couple of them. Uh, one, one is obvious, the opening day pitcher for the Phil's, Jeremy Hellickson. Uh, he's just always made me nervous, and he's got terrible whip numbers, and I just can't see spending in him. And I also I worry a little bit about Zach Greinke in Arizona. I know he's a great pitcher. I know he knows how to pitch, but I worry about him in that environment. He was, he was such a perfect fit in either Kansas City or Los Angeles, who are so pitching-focused that uh it's uh it's it's I, I just worry about him i hope he has a great year i love him i've got him on my stratomatic team so it's fine with me if he does well but i worry about him
0: where can listeners read more from uh lor michaels and keep track of you
1: well ideally i'll start writing for the usa today again once a week uh which i've done for the last i don't know a handful of years and then of course at masters ball uh, every thursday morning i do golf dfs every saturday i do baseball dfs and my bed goes up column is up saturday my hot page is up monday so you can catch me at least four times a week there and and of course you can always catch me at laur michaels on twitter and always remember to use my hashtag i am becoming Abe simpson because it's really really true <laughs>
0: that's L A W R michaels uh, for that twitter handle uh Laura, thanks again really do appreciate it we'll talk to you soon
1: it's always such a pleasure to talk with you, Patrick. And uh, I'm happy anytime. and good luck during the season, man. I'm Thank looking you. forward to playing in a league against you.
0: Laura Michaels writes for MastersBall.com. Watch for him in USA Today and follow him on Twitter. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Tuesday, April the 5th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 15 of the 2016 Fantasy Baseball season. I also want to thank our guest for this Tuesday tout edition of our show from mastersball.com. It was Lore Michaels. Lore's a terrific guest and a great guy to talk with. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Lore as much as I did. I'm Patrick Davitt. I also hope I'll see you on the baseballhq.com subscriber forums. Also, remember, you can stay in contact with Baseball HQ on Facebook and our Twitter feed at Baseball HQ. You can also subscribe to my personal Twitter feed at Patrick Davitt. And please send us a message on our email address, radio all one word, at gmail.com, where you'll always be the first to know when a new podcast is available. More importantly, please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio and take a second to go to iTunes and add to our 4.8 star rating. It really does help us keep the podcast going. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again Friday with our regular Friday news and comments show. That's the next edition of the podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for Winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long.